Welcome to the Storytime Clinic, where children's books and health collide. I'm your host, pediatrician Dr. Mfan Umwaren, and in every episode, I spotlight a children's book featuring a character with a health condition. My goal is to inspire conversations that will help all of us better understand and support kids with health conditions. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Storytime Clinic. Guys, I am so hyped about this episode. Now, usually the Storytime Clinic is a bookish kind of podcast. You know, we like to read, talk about books, but today we are going to take a little foray into the world of movies. Walk with me. Now, before we get started, I want you to think about whatever it is you do on a day-to-day basis. Are you a teacher, a driver, a babysitter, a painter, a gardener? Whatever it is, not today. You have got a new role for the next three minutes, okay? You are going to be a secret agent. Ta-da! Picture this. The location, the Louvre, Paris, the situation. There's a huge gala tonight with dignitaries from all over the world. And during this event, there is going to be the unveiling of the biggest, most precious diamond that has ever been seen. But we've gotten a tip that the famous con man, Pierre Robege is going to be at this event and rumor has it that he is going to try and swipe the diamond before our very eyes and we cannot let this happen. So your mission is to find Mr. Robege and stop him before he carries out his dastardly deed. Now, as you are picturing the scene in your head and planning out your mission, tell me, What is the soundtrack that is playing in your head? What is the soundtrack of your mission? If you're anything like me, it goes a little something like this. Okay. So clearly, I am a big fan of spy movies, action, uh, a little bit of espionage. I love these kinds of movies. And probably one of the most iconic and memorable movie theme songs is this song from Mission Impossible. And so this is what I think about anytime I have um, a situation that requires some secrecy or some, some spy action or anything of that scenario. So when I saw the title and the cover of the book that we're talking about today, this is exactly what came into mind. And I said, I have got to get this book. I've got to read it and I have got to feature it on the podcast. So today we are going to be talking about The Great Food Bank Heist by Anjali Rauf and 
the very, very important topic of food insecurity. It's going to be a great episode, so get comfortable and let's get talking. There is a thief on the loose. Now, yes, we established this in the first portion of the podcast, but this is not Mr. Pierre Roberge, and there's no fancy Louvre Museum involved, and there are no fancy expensive diamonds in this book that we're talking about in The Great Food Bank Heist by Anjali Rauf. This is the situation. The greatest bank in the world, the food bank, is getting robbed. It has to be. I mean, there's less and less food on the shelves. And this is a big deal for our main character, Nelson, and for his little sister, Ashley, and for his mom, who is a single mother who works as a nurse, but just doesn't make enough money to pay her rent and pay her bills and put food on the table consistently for her and her children all through the month. This is also a really big deal for all the kids in the breakfast club at Nelson's school because their families also rely on the food bank for extra support, as well as the free breakfast and lunch that they can get at school. But are these kids just going to sit back and allow a thief to get away with this? They do not think so. And so they are on a mission to stop the great food bank heist. And will they do it? Well, I'm going to let you guys find that out by reading the book. But in the meantime, we are going to dive a little bit deeper into the topic of food insecurity. So what do we really mean when we talk about food insecurity? Well, it's pretty straightforward. Food insecurity is a situation where people do not have reliable and steady access to good, nutritious food. In the United States, 12% of people are food insecure, meaning that at some point during the year, they have struggled to provide enough food for everybody living in the household. Okay, this might affect children. Children might not get enough food to eat. Parents might have to skip meals to feed their children. For some people, this is a cyclical thing. So at the beginning of the month when they have gotten paid, then they're able to provide food for the family. But towards the end of the month, when a lot of that money has been spent on necessities, on rent, on bills and whatnot, then things get really tight and they struggle to provide food. For some people, they might work contract jobs where at a certain point in time, they're getting paid good money. And then for another month, they may not have a project coming up and may not get paid. And then things become difficult in that time. Food insecurity can happen to anybody. And it's really interesting that in this book, The Great Food Bank Heist, I think the author made some kind of intentional choices with how she, with the family that she chose. So this was a family led by a single woman, so a single mother. And this actually makes up the majority of households that face food insecurity, households that are led by single women who have children. Then the mom in this family is actually a nurse. So she is employed. And again, a lot of people who face food insecurity actually have jobs. 
and have decent jobs as well. At first, when I read the book, I will admit that I myself was surprised. I said, wow, I mean, she's a nurse. How can she be in this situation? But think about it. Some people live in a very high cost of living area where even if you have a good job, it may not, the money that you get from that job may not be enough to pay your rent, to pay your bills, to deal with any unforeseen circumstances that may come up, such as car repairs and house repairs, and then have money enough at the end of the day to provide food. So it can sometimes be surprising who actually can be affected by food insecurity, but it's something that can happen to anybody. Now, we want to really talk about the impact that food insecurity has on children. So again, in the United States, about 12 million children deal with food insecurity every year. 12 million children. So where does the impact come in? First and foremost, there's the physical discomfort of being hungry all the time. I mean, I know what it feels like when I haven't had breakfast and I get to work and I'm not able to to eat till like 12 or 12.30 and <laughs> I just keep getting more irritable <laughs> as the day goes on. And that's just for one morning. That's just for a couple of hours. And I know that as soon as I'm done, you know, rounding or seeing my patients, I know that my lunch is waiting there for me. But imagine having this sensation of hunger, this discomfort that lasts all day and you don't actually know when that next meal is going to come. Or you know that when you have the next meal to eat, it's not going to be enough to take the hunger away for more than a few minutes. That is the situation that a lot of children are dealing with. And the way that this is described in the book really makes it tangible. And we see how it affects everything else in the child's life. It affects their ability to concentrate in school. It affects their mood. There is anxiety related to not quite knowing when the next meal is going to come. And it's stressful, of course, for the caregiver, whether it's a parent or whoever it is, um, there's that constant stress of trying to figure out what the next step is going to be. Um, but also Children, especially older children, can take on this burden as well. In this book, Nelson has a six-year-old sister, and I assume that he's anywhere between 10 and 12 years old. And a lot of times he's home taking care of his sister while his mom is at work, and he's the one who has to deal with her asking for food, uh, complaining about being hungry. And he masks this sometimes by trying to play games with her, trying to distract her. But at the end of the day, the fact remains that when he opens up the fridge, there's barely anything at all in there. He opens up the cabinets and there's really nothing. In a certain part of the book, there's one single egg that's left in the fridge. And he knows his mom probably wouldn't have eaten anything at work. And so he saves that for his mom. And so that's the level that you're talking about. Sometimes they're just having half a slice of bread for dinner. And so it's it's heart-wrenching to really see the decisions that a child is having to make uh, when there's not enough food to go around. Beyond this factor, there's also the really important point that kids who are food insecure are, are going to be malnourished. So if we're talking about not getting enough food in general, they're not getting enough for them to have energy 
to get through the day, for them to develop and grow in the way that they should. And so sometimes in severe circumstances, this can lead to stunting. So being a shorter height this can lead to kids being really thin. Um, this affects the way children develop. So especially young children who are you know, from infants to about the age of three, this is when your brain is really developing and really needs all these nutrients. So being food insecure can actually affect brain development, cognitive development, intellectual abilities as a child gets older. And this is something that's going to affect a child for their entire life. So it's really so important to make sure that kids are getting enough food but also getting good quality food. Another issue with food insecurity is that oftentimes people end up having to make the choice to buy the cheapest options available so that food can actually stretch. And for the most part, we know that the cheapest options are really not going to be the healthiest options. I mean, think about how much it costs to buy fruits and vegetables versus how much it might cost to buy like a Twinkie or a pack of hot dogs or things like that. And so families end up sacrificing quality and nutrition for the quantity to be able to take away the hunger pangs, to be able to stretch for as long as they can. So we're missing out on important vitamins. We're missing out on important uh, nutrition that help a child grow and help their bodies to function properly, help their immune systems. And so a lot of times kids who are food insecure are also having more sicknesses because they're not getting what their body needs. And finally, we know from the book that there is a uh, social, a psychosocial component to this as well. Um, so our main character, Nelson, does have a little bit of embarrassment about his family's predicament, about the fact that they are food insecure. Um, he wishes that his household were like that of his best friends, where there's always ample food and snacks. And so it's really hard for him to invite friends over to his house when he knows that there's not going to be anything to give them. It's hard for him to share with his friends that he is in the breakfast club at school, which means that he relies on the free meals that are provided by the school to get food for himself during the day. And he feels embarrassed about knowing that his friends donate food to the food bank where he and his family have to go get food. So there's definitely a bit of stigma that affects children as well. Now, speaking of food banks, what exactly is a food bank? Well, according to Nelson, a food bank is the best kind of bank there is. It's the only kind of bank where they don't ask you to put anything in before you're able to take things out. Nelson talks about the magic of having a place that is just stocked full of food that families can come in and take what they need and they're able to feed their families. And he and his family look forward to doing this every week when they've gotten their vouchers. Now, this book, The Great Food Bank Heist, is set in the UK. So things might work a little bit differently and the terminology might be a little bit different than what we have here in the United States. But generally, how food banks work 
is food banks are nonprofit organizations that help to store food and distribute food to smaller centers like food pantries that are often run by other nonprofits or uh, churches or schools or different organizations that are within the community that people can go to and get free food. In the United States, there are more than 200 large food banks that supply food for about 63,000 food pantries and shelters. As we see in the book, food banks are a very, very important and integral part of helping people who are food insecure have a place to turn when they need additional food. And food banks really, really rely on donations and volunteers. So donations can be either monetary, so providing money for food to be bought for the food bank, or they can be food donations as well. Now, in the book, remember, Nelson and his friends are trying to get to the bottom of a very big problem, the fact that the shelves of the food banks are getting emptier and emptier each day. So in order to solve this problem, they have to trace how food gets to the food bank shelves. And this mission ends up involving a good old-fashioned stakeout and some actual steak. <laughs> Seriously, read this book. Now, food banks are just one of several resources we have to help families that are food insecure. So there's a couple of really important federal programs that are really helpful here. There's food assistance programs like SNAP, which stands for Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. And this program provides low-income families with an electronic card that they can use to buy food at grocery stores. 20 million American children rely on SNAP benefits to get food every month. There's another food assistance program called WIC, and this is the Special Supplemental Nutrition Program for women infants, and children. Remember I said that those first years of life are very, very critical for a child to have really good nutrition because that helps their brain development. It helps their physical development as well. And so this program, WIC, uh, really caters to children that are less than five years of age or women who are pregnant or breastfeeding. Because when a woman is pregnant, that is really when the nutrition of the child starts. And WIC serves 53% of all infants who are born in the United States. So again, these are incredibly, incredibly important programs that a huge section of the U.S. population relies on. And then when we're talking specifically about children, as we saw in the book, Nelson and his sister really, really relied on the meals that they got in school to help them get through. So there's a lot of ways in which schools can be a resource for food insecure families. And in the United States, there is the National School Lunch Program where kids can get free or discounted meals um, at lunchtime. And this helps so much to relieve a burden. But when you think about the fact that school is in session only for a limited number of hours, you realize that there are still going to be gaps. So there's families that still struggle with finding food for their children after school. There's families who struggle on the weekends. And 
Holidays can also be very difficult anytime that school is out of session for a long period of time. Christmas, and especially the summertime, when you're off for two or three months at a time and you don't have that resource of school to help feed your children. This can be the hungriest time of year for many families. And so there are all these gaps, and there have been certain programs that are created to help bridge the gap um, and help continue to provide meals for children who need them all through the year at various time points. So there are after-school programs, there are school breakfast programs, and there are free summer meal programs as well that help to bridge these gaps. One of the things I love about this book, The Great Food Bank House, is that it, it introduces kids to the idea that there are other children who might be their classmates who are living completely different lives than they are. But at the same time, it shows that these kids are just like other children. They want to play, they have imagination, they have adventure, and they have agency as well. You know, Nelson puts together this group of friends to help solve the problem of the food bank shortage and restore this much needed resource in the community. But there's also the recognition that these families cannot do it all on their own. And so there's lots of resources that are provided at the back of the book that help children to learn, first of all, about what food banks are, why some families need food banks, and what they can do and how they can be involved in helping to prevent other children from going hungry. So again, this is a UK-based book, so a lot of the resources are going to be based in the UK. But in the show notes of this podcast, I am going to post some really good resources that are US-based in case you guys are interested in learning more about food insecurity in the US and about how you can be involved in helping to continue to advocate for policies and for programs that help deal with this issue of food insecurity, because we know it is so important for our children. So don't forget to check those resources out. And don't forget to read this book, The Great Food Bank Heist by Anjali Rauf. It is definitely worth a read. It is definitely a great book to introduce kids to a really important topic. And I do not think that you will regret it. So that is the end of this episode. Please let me know what you guys thought. Let me know if you have any other resources or books that you would like to share on this topic. Thank you, and I will see you in the next episode. For the show notes and links to the books I cover in this episode, please head over to the podcast website at www.storytimeclinic.com. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and share this podcast with other people who may be interested. I'd also love to hear from you if you have book suggestions or health topics you'd like to see me cover. If you want to give me some feedback and help me make this podcast more valuable for you, you can leave a review on iTunes or send me an email at thestorytimeclinic at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and I will see you in the next episode.